Hello, I'm Michelle Engelhart. Welcome to the Thinking Matters podcast. Our guest today is biological mathematician, Dr. Sean Means. Our topic is, does mathematics reveal the fingerprint of God? Well, welcome along, Sean. We're, we're really pleased to have you here with us today. It's um, such an honor to have you here. You're Zooming in from Auckland. And um, I just thought, I have introduced you, but I just thought we'd ask you to share a little bit about yourself, what you do, um, and um, where you do it. Oh, well, um, I am not a Kiwi. <laughs> I guess I guess I've lived here long enough that maybe technically by proxy I am, but I, I'm from New Mexico, uh, where it's dry and brown. It's a mountainous desert in the southwestern part of America. It is part of America, um, despite the fact that many Americans don't think so. <laughs> right? But I, I moved here to uh, to study and do my PhD, and I wonder. So I, I moved here to study with the author of this book, uh, James Sneed, Mathematical Physiology. He's a world famous mathematical biologist at the University of Auckland, and I got I got to study with him. Um, that's why I came here, but I, I stayed, man, it's been 15 years. I, so does that mean I'm a Kiwi now? It does. <laughs> You're an honor- yeah. honorary Kiwi. Oh, honorary Kiwi. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I noticed it hasn't changed my accent too much. I guess it's softened up a bit. You know, I, I don't have my, my flatmates complain quite so much. So. Uh, they can understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know about the reverse so much. Uh, but so what do I do? Uh, like I said, I came to study uh, mathematical biology with a world famous mathematical biologist. And there's a lot of fields of where mathematics is used to understand biology. And the stuff that I've used it on is uh, signaling inside, inside cells. So, so there's uh, calcium is used to trigger all kinds of mechanisms in our bodies. Uh, the amount of calcium is generally kept very low inside a cell. But like say when a neuron hits it with an electrical signal, like in a muscle or a heart cell, it, um, it triggers the release of calcium and that causes the contraction. So every time like you're moving your, your muscles or you're hearing things that it's triggering things or you, or you feel things, that's calcium. <laughs> if it wasn't for calcium, you wouldn't be able to move. You wouldn't he- hear anything. You wouldn't do a lot of things. Um, so, so drink your milk. <laughs> I was going to say that means that we probably should supplement. <laughs> yeah, a well, lot of people are low on it, aren't they? Especially as they get older. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It's definitely yeah. good to have plenty of calcium. Mm. <laughs> things stop working. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it could actually just be the cal- lack of calcium when you're starting to feel a bit achy when you're older and you can't. Get Maybe those I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could be, but. It's, also, the, the body is very complex. We, we are definitely fearfully and wonderfully made. Because um, I was just going to say, how, like, how did I get into that? Uh, because I became a Christian. You know, I, I was studying mathematics as an undergrad when I had a crazy encounter, a supernatural encounter. And um, I uh, had a confrontation over biology, over evolution and creation. And I was like, I don't know. I'm a mathematician. I don't really know that stuff. So I started looking at biology. And honestly, when a cell biology professor was describing all this stuff, my first thought was like, that would make a great video game. <laughs> Let's make video games out of cell biology. And so that, that's what kind of drew me into it. And then I started saying, oh, we could use mathematics on this stuff. And, and that, um, that's a whole field. Although it was, it was very much in, in, in its infancy when I started looking at it back then. But yeah, yeah. so it's because I became a Christian that, I, that I'm in New Zealand. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So what are your qualifications? Oh, my qualifications? Yeah. Um, well, geez, I've got uh, degrees. All my degrees are in applied maths. So I did my bachelor's at the University of New Mexico in applied maths. I did, after I became a Christian, then I decided to continue. I did my master's at the University of New Mexico in applied maths where I studied a neuron. I did a mathematical model of neuron. And then um, that model I got to work on when I, I was a technical staff researcher at Sandia National Labs, which is in my hometown of Albuquerque, New Mexico. So Sandia Labs is one of the huge uh, three primary Department of Energy research facilities in America. So it's, it's like, what, 10,000 researchers work work at that joint. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's a it's huge a facility. It's a, it's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, the primary mission, though, at Sandia was nuclear weapons. I, did, I didn't do weapons, um, <laughs> right? I was, I was just interested in biology. And so then when they came to me, like, do you, do you want a job? And I was like, yeah, I just don't want to do weapons. <laughs> no, you don't have to do weapons. Okay, good. <laughs> so that, that's what kind of catapulted my career. And I started going to conferences and doing collaborations. 
And that's where I met um, my then future advisor, James Sneed at, at University of Auckland. And he was, he's a distinctive fellow. When I met him, he had green hair. Wow. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's a, he's a character. <laughs> so we, we met at a conference and we were tilting beers and I was chatting about, I need to do a PhD. Well, come do a PhD with me. We'll have fun. Okay. Clink. And that's, that's, uh, that's why I studied with him. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> So moving back a little bit, could you share your testimony of how you actually became a Christian? It's, 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 a, it's a story unto itself. <laughs> um, like I was mentioning, it's a, in a nutshell, um, I was raised Buddhist. I'm a recovering drug addict who had encounters with uh, people practicing witchcraft. Wow. <laughs> So we did. There's a lot more in there. <laughs> I was going to say there must be more. For yeah, you yeah, to... I, can, I can add to that. But, but so it's you know I I was not raised Christian. Mm. Um, my my mother she was uh, pretty tight with Hawaiians, and so in Hawaii there's a huge Japanese influence. So as a kid we spent so much time when I was a kid we spent so much time in Honolulu like whole summers, and being around all the Japanese culture my mother encountered a Japanese sect of Buddhism and she embraced it and. Oh. And so did I. And I joined the the, the, the Buddhist church back in our, our my hometown of New Mexico, and I was very involved. In it. But I was not raised Christian. So, so when I, I kind of moved on um, when I was a teenager and started doing teenage things, and some of those teenage things was exploring with uh, chemical recreation, <laughs> and some of that just drew me into a different direction. But you know, after going through some extraordinary experiences of uh, drug addiction, I was I was a full-on drug addict. I used to inject cocaine into my bloodstream. Wow. Um, so when I went through rehab, it was a pretty intensive process. So the detoxification was 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 a key component. And once I went through detox, it was just like oh, I just snapped. What am I doing? I I sold all my albums. I sold all my video games. I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, the important thing. Wow. Um, and so I was like, no, 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 I want to, I want to go back to school. I want to do that. I want to do stuff with my life, not just get high. And along the way, I was given a Bible in in rehab, uh, which which is around here somewhere. I still got the thing, but it was given to me. Oh yeah, because it's handy having a bookshelf right next to you. So, so I was given this in uh, 1990. Can you read that mess? I can't read it, but I don't have my glasses on, so. Oh, okay. Sure but that... It seems clear on the screen. But so in 1990, an elderly fellow of Galen Perrick gave it to me, and he wrote, "On the occasion of Stout Street Family, that was um, that was the rehabilitation center that I was in. It was a pretty intensive program." But so he gave me this Bible, and at the time, I was I was an atheist. I had evolved from a Buddhist to an atheist, and I thought, "How quaint he's trying to convert me." But the reason why I kept it is because I didn't really know it. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a handy reference because I could recognize that the Bible is is a key, a key collection of documents foundational to Western civilization. Yes. <laughs> you know, I thought this, this might be a handy reference. So I kept it. Went back to New Mexico. Um, and then over the years, I got into playing music and I used to play music with all kinds of people from different backgrounds. And I used to jam with people that were uh, declared witches that they, that's what they did they're like oh yeah we're witches we do this witch stuff i was like okay i don't care it didn't make, make any difference to me but so then my life started getting extraordinarily strange <laughs> um extraordinary things were happening to me um that were difficult to explain by pure naturalistic causes and as i was encountering these things um stuff that was happening kind of led me to think well maybe there's something handy in this bible like, and this is just to show you how ignorant I was of the Bible, I thought, well, maybe there's something in the back that, like, if I wear garlic at night, the monsters can't get me or something. You know, there's, an, there's like, a formula. Give me a formula. There's a spell in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, like, some like a Hollywood thing, you know. It's, it's full of mighty powers. How do I use them? Yeah. And along the way, you know, because I didn't know where to read. I just literally threw it open. And I threw it open to Matthew uh, 12. Uh, verse 31 blasphemy the holy spirit's an eternal sin it can never be forgiven any other sin can be forgiven but not this one and I'm like oh what is it mm. <laughs> and so i started reading and it started becoming clear to me i was like oh um the crucifixion is an offer of a relationship and that spoke to me profoundly i had i had just had a conversation with, you know i'm a drummer so i just had a conversation with my punk guitarist in my band about you know he his objective in life was to be a famous rock star and I remember telling him, that's not it. <laughs> that's There's more to life than like, you know, it's not about having stuff. It's not about having fame. It's not about, you know, all these other things. 
It's about relationships. The most valuable things in life are relationships. So after having that conversation, then I turn around and reading the Bible. And I'm like, oh, Jesus is offering me a relationship that just spoke to me. Yes. And so I got on my knees and said, Jesus, I love you. And, and then through a convolution of things, then I studied maths and then got interested in biology. And so I'm in New Zealand. Fabulous. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> so did people help you on your Christian journey? I mean, did you immediately start going to church? Obviously, you got saved through reading the, the Word of God. Did yeah, you yeah. then put yourself into church or what, what happened? Oh, yeah, that was that was the next step because, uh, uh, you know, that day when I got on my knees, maybe I should say this too, the, the supernatural things that were happening to me were extraordinary and I didn't understand all of them. And some of them, I think, were were uh, from the enemy and some some were from God. Yeah. But I didn't know them and I couldn't distinguish them. But so the moment that I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, I love you, a bell rang over my head and I heard a voice declare, I give you your life back. Wow. And so I, that didn't mean anything to me. I was just like, okay, just more spiritual crazy. Because I, I mean, I was hearing so many things and feeling so many sensations. But so um, it seemed natural after that moment. I was like, well, when I was Buddhist, I went to a Buddhist church. <laughs> so if I'm Christian, I should go to a Christian church. So I just pulled out the phone book, you know, and, and so I lived in the student ghetto and I just looked for places that were nearby. And out of all the churches that I called, there was one a tiny little church called Gerard Baptist Church in Albuquerque, um, just north of the university. And I called and the pastor was there, Pastor Tony Chavez. And he was a bit of a nut and we got along great. <laughs> So he's a little crazy. So he, I, he could communicate with me and he was like, well, come on, buy, buy a Coke. And so I went over there and I didn't know anything about Christianity. So when he's like, well, I'll show you around the auditorium. I was like, okay. And so we go to the auditorium. He's like, where's the crucifix? And he's like, this isn't a Catholic church. Okay. Well, why is there a bathtub up there? Well, it's a, it's a Baptist church. We dump people. So I don't know what any of this means. All I knew is that I loved Jesus. That was the start. Yeah. And that's that's where things just rolled from there. And he, and he discipled me intensely. I mean, he saw a very energetic, enthusiastic uh, young Christian. And was like, tell me more, teach me more. You know, and I was devouring the Bible. And, and it was amazing to me how reading the Bible, how there were so many things in the biblical worldview that were perfectly consistent with my personal experiences, all the supernatural stuff that was happening to me. I was like, this all makes sense. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You know, people disparage the Bible all the time, but you read it and it speaks to you just where yeah, you need it to. You know, well, God yeah, speaks yeah. through it, through that book. It's just incredible. Do you think the drugs that you were on previously kind of sort of opened you up to that supernatural side? Oh, very likely, because yeah. I mean, I I dabbled in hallucinogens, uh, right. of course, marijuana. But those those were the soft drugs, but the mm -hmm. hard ones were. Or of course, cocaine and pharmaceuticals. I, I never did. I never did heroin, but I was I was um, around it a lot, and I was around a lot of opiates and stuff. Yeah. So definitely the psychedelics. But however, when I was having those experiences, they were not psychedelically induced. I wasn't taking psychedelics. No. But not only that, I've taken enough psychedelics to know when I'm on them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I can, I can recognize like the the atmosphere and the way things happen, but when you're on like say mushrooms or lsd your your perceptions are skewed in a particular way usually it's it's what's happening around you is is warped your perceptions of things are a little bit warped the visions the encounters that i had before that year before i read the bible were utterly different mm. you know the the visions that i had they were not hallucinatory they were they were vivid and and it was it was like a being was like right there Wow. And he was doing, and I was interacting with these things in extraordinary ways that were utterly unlike any psychedelic experience I'd ever had. Yeah. Oh, that's I mean, maybe they maybe they opened up, like you say, opened up my perceptions or, or opened up my um, my receptibility to some of these things. Like, okay, so what is this crazy stuff? Yeah. <laughs> was it ever scary? Or was oh it, heck yeah. yeah! Some of them were quite scary. It was clear yeah. that someone was determined to. Um, either drive me insane or, or, or drive me to, to suicide or something. Wow. Yeah. So that's partly why I pulled down the Bible because it's just like it was an act of self-defense. It's like, uh, I need help. What do I do? Yeah. And of course, you know, after I became Christian, I was realizing God used all these powers 
to drive me to read the Bible. And I was very resistant. I remember the first time I reached for the Bible and I was going to read it, I stopped myself. And you know why? Because I didn't want to be Ned Flanders. (laughs) (laughs) So Who wants to be Ned Flanders? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be some caricature. And it didn't occur to me that is a caricature. That's not not the real deal. Yeah. A couple of days later, after getting my butt kicked a bit more. Okay, okay, I'm reading this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad you did. Because here you are. Oh, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a difference. Who knows what I do now. Yeah. Did you find that when you came off the drugs that it was like your brain just suddenly, you thought a lot clearer? And Oh, of course it was subtle in some ways. But I mean, at yeah. the time I was only, I was only smoking marijuana yeah. and drinking alcohol. I wasn't using anything else. Yeah. But so the marijuana was partly because I was in, I was in a punk band. Um, so this, it, it was just like, um. It, there was this expectation during practice like it, it would go around and, and that was part of practice but then i remember the conversation with tony my pastor um, not long after becoming christian i went to him and i was like i have this quandary i really like smoking weed and playing music is that okay <laughs> <laughs> he's like well as he pulls out the bible be filled with the spirit and nothing else oh dang it <laughs> but so uh, i did i stopped and yeah. actually i i would think Stopping that was easy compared to I was smoking. I was smoking camel filters back oh, then. Yes. That was hard. Um, and I have all these distinct memories of like bags of, of lollies and chewing gum at, at a gig and all these punk rockers. I hear he's trying to quit. Is that hard? <laughs> Just don't don't stand downwind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. But, yeah. So, but, but I did. I quit smoking. I quit smoking marijuana. Um, and the other thing that I actually that was also difficult is I quit playing video games. Wow. Um, for about six months. And it, it, it was because that, that was one of the worst addictions I think I've I've had is mm. it would so consume me. I wouldn't I wouldn't do any of my studies. I wouldn't go to class. I wouldn't go to work. And when the band would come over, they literally had to drag me off of the computer to get me to play. So get, get, get play this thing now. <laughs> like, oh, this is fun. Play drum. Um, so I. I realized that this addictive thing, I have to learn how to either, well, not do it at all or learn how to deal with it. And after so many months, I started viewing gaming as like, it's entertainment. It's like reading a book or watching a movie, but you do it when you're done. So, so it started as like at the end of the day, when I've done my work, then I play. It's a treat. Yeah, yeah exactly. I get to have ice cream. Yeah, it's like a reward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So once I was able to structure my life in a way, you know, mm. I, I, I still enjoy playing and stuff and, and appreciate, you know, because now it's a medium. Yes. You know, gaming has, has so evolved since then. But yeah. yeah. So with um, regard to the metaverse, you're not going to be jumping in there anytime soon? Oh, probably not, especially if it's run by Facebook. I have <laughs> no. little, little faith in Facebook. <laughs> it's a little bit worrying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How much more of my life do they want to consume? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So on your journey, you um, become a mathematician, obviously, and you've got all these qualifications. Um, had you heard about Christian apologetics? Was that something that just naturally you were doing anyway? Or, um, oh. yeah. Actually, it just reminded me how um, being confronted over like creation and evolution, um, and I had my own questions. So I was just like, I don't know. I didn't really, you know, I was studying maths. I wasn't that interested in biology. And so when I started digging into it, I started firing off letters into the, the university newspaper, the Daily Lobo, and I started really challenging people and, wow. and just asking questions and confronting. And And I started getting responses from some people that were tracking me down from a local apologetics group. What was it? Creation Science Fellowship? I think that's what it was called. It was run by one of the Sandia Labs physicists. Um, and so they tracked me down. They're like, who are you? <laughs> What's with all these things? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying to just grappling with this and I'm seeing some really goofy things. And so they invited me along and I started checking out their, their, um, their talks and their, their, their meetings and so forth. And I found some of it very, very interesting. And it was also very encouraging, you know, to see, well, there are other scientists, there are other mathematicians that are Christian, you know, being a theist doesn't mean that you're um, irrational, no. <laughs> right? Surprise, surprise. You still have a brain, yeah. <laughs> right? You don't, you don't turn your brain off when you become a Christian. I actually find it's the opposite mm-hmm. because, you know, before I was Christian, I didn't think about stuff. I just went around and did whatever was fun or whatever I wanted to do. But, you know, as a Christian, I was like, oh, now I'm, I'm accountable. Yes. 
Right. And I remember thinking too, it was like, well, if I have to give an account for every word I say and everything I do, won't that take forever? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting interpretation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> every single word. Yeah. So what we will do now actually is launch into our topic. And one of the first questions I'm going to put up, which seems like a rather silly one, but I'm sure you can elaborate on it. And that yeah. is what actually is mathematics? Let's see. In one of these books, maybe that describes <laughs> it. <laughs> Usually, like, like if you look up maths in a dictionary, it's always, it's always about, it's about number and quantity. You know, it's usually something like that. And I always want to change these definitions in the dictionaries because it's like, it's not just about numbers. It's not just about how much of something. Mathematics is um, about relationships. Right. It's about how things relate to each other and describing those relationships. You know, it's, you know, of course, the mathematical term is a function, but without functions, mass, there's not a lot of mass you can do, especially when you're trying to describe the real world. You're often trying to describe, I've got so much input and I get so much output. What's the relationship between these things? You know, like how much do I push on the gas pedal and how fast does the car go? Um, how much do I open the tap and how much water comes out? You know, how much money do I put into this mutual fund and what's the return on my investment? You know, it's, there's inputs and outputs. There's relationships all over the place. Wow. That's so interesting. I, I would say, yeah, I'd say mathematics is about relationships of quantities and numbers. It's not just about numbers. <laughs> That's incredible. I'd never mm. thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. It's everywhere, isn't mm. it? Yeah, I think I just need to complain loudly to all these dictionaries. Yeah, just make <laughs> some wrong. submissions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why do you believe mathematics is important in the world? Because I know when I was at school and I really struggled with maths, I must admit. And I liked the fact that there were formulas and there were certain ways that you do things. But always somewhere in an exam, there'd be one that I that I, that formulas didn't seem to work for me mm. and um and there was always someone that would say oh well, we're never going to use this anyway what's all this about yeah anyway. what's it all about yeah <laughs> you're, you're reminding me of one of my favorite shows from the 90s was a show called the adventures of pete and pete okay i mean it's like it's like, it's like the view from a 10 year old boy's mind oh, so geez. in many ways i related <laughs> really well to it. But, but so there's one there's one episode where the friend of one of the pete's his friend she she just keeps asking these math teachers at a high school why that's my favorite word <laughs> why why and none of them can answer and i'm just kind of like but but <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much you could be saying to her you know why it was well like 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 the argument was well when am i going to use this in life mm. you know mathematics is all over the place <laughs> Um, yeah. We don't necessarily see it. Uh, you know, I think it's because we're kind of conditioned to see the world a certain way. But so it's like if you drive a car, you do very sophisticated vector algebra in your head, but you you may not see it that way. You don't. You know, it's like when you're like, "Can I get across this intersection?" You don't see vectors flying by, <laughs> right? Well, that's a really long vector. I better hold up. Oh, that's a short vector. Oh, I can go, <laughs> right? You don't really. But you, you're still, you're looking at things, you're estimating how like the closure time, whether or not you can punch it through or whether you can make it, is it safe, is it not? We have, we have an ingrained mathematical ability, particularly interacting just in, the, just in the world around us. You know, like athletes are very good at, you know, coordination and, and visualization and, mm -hmm. and, and spatially figuring out, can I fit through this hole? <laughs> Do I have yes. to put my head down and push really hard? Right, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's like so in that so in that instance, I try to tell people it's like actually you're doing maths, you just don't necessarily see it that way. But so then why why play around with like you know like the nuts and bolts? Because some of it is like just doing algebra. I need to find x. You know why? Why should I care about finding x? Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes it's like the context. Um, you know, people started doing mathematics back how many thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, because it was necessity was the mother invention, right? They're trying to figure out how, how to carve up plots of land or like Indians, you know, ancient Indians, they had very specific geometric patterns and ratios of shapes they had to use for their shrines. So it had a religious importance to them, which mm -hmm. was kind of an interesting thing. So if you get the numbers right on this shape, 
then uh, then their gods would would approve and so I, you know the question is well what happens if they didn't approve yes. <laughs> right? Yes. right and then also like just in the bible too there are very specific ratios like for the ark there were very specific prescriptions for build it these so many so many cubits that so many cubits and so forth and so some of it is just like well just using it just to deal with life mm. um yeah other good. other aspects of mass oh it, uh, sorry, I'll just keep going. No, I do, because it's very interesting. <laughs> okay. I do have questions, but yeah, I do. It's... Oh, because I was going to say other aspects too is, you know, doing mathematical problems, like these annoying puzzles. I didn't solve this. <laughs> so this was someone showed it to me on Facebook, and I'm like, I don't know. And then they say, well, Taiwanese school kids do this. Oh, great. <laughs> it's not a joke, though, you know, just to get you to try and figure it out, and it actually, there's no answer. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Sometimes it does happen. <laughs> They're like, Sean, can you solve this? You're a master of crud. But so some of it is just uh, it makes you think. It mm. solving mathematical problems teaches you how to think, um, and that's something that everyone needs needs to be able to do. So it may not this specific problem may not have an application in your life. Where it's like, well, I just want to figure out what's the price that I should have for a widget so I maximize my profit or some dang thing. Yeah. But some other thing is just is just helping you to refine your thinking skills. And if there's one thing that we all need is we need to sharpen this thing in life. And mathematics actually really helps you do that, helps you to see how to solve these problems. Now, not everyone's inclined. Yeah. Builds <laughs> those know, neuron that, pathways. Yeah, it's a, yeah, so not everyone's into this kind of stuff, um, and which is perfectly fine. So some artists that I know that they, they see these things and they shrink in horror and they go running out, screaming out of the get me away from this thing! Ah, pain, <laughs> right? Suffering. It, it different strokes for different folks. Yeah, and then you've got people like Leonardo da Vinci, where maths was so intrinsic in everything he did, really, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all over the place. Yeah, in fact, most of those great artists, they would have used mathematics quite a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't have that M.C. Escher book here, but so... Oh, I love M.C. Escher was... Have you heard of Escher? Oh, yeah, yeah I love those. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of his patterns are very mathematical, but then there's other... There's also J.S. Bach. Um, a lot of his fugues and the classical music that he wrote, there were mathematical structures in them. Wow. Um, so it's, it's it's used in many, many different ways, and it, and it pops up in strange places in strange ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Where do we see mathematics? Obviously, we've talked a little bit about that. So there's history, culture. Um, yeah, it, it, it just basically seems to be everywhere if we really look for it. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, there's in just nature itself. Yeah. You know, something like the patterns in the petals of a flower, um, just like the branching patterns of a tree. <laughs> Snowflakes. Stuff like that. Snowflakes. Yeah, snowflakes. Like, and you look at, look at, you know, the vein patterns, you know, and, and so forth. Mm. Um, so there's those aspects so that but makes me, sorry. That makes me question: What came first? <laughs> did people make maths out of what they were seeing, or did they already have this concept of number and everything, and they applied that to? Right, right. Uh, that know. kind of that kind of puts your finger into one of the key problems: is 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 mathematics something that's created mm. or discovered? Yes. Right. It's like: Is it something that well, we patch this thing together, and it's kind of like it's like language in many ways. We're just describing things. So mathematics is a language. It's just a very, it's just a very precise language. Like it's easy to, you know, like E equals MC squared. There's a lot of information packed into that little formula. Yeah, but so if you if you start describing all of it, you could write like volumes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So words, 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 words. Yeah. But so in one way, it's a language that describes reality that we can create. But by the same token, um, mathematicians and physicists and scientists have discovered mathematical structures in reality wow that's so just through through explorations uh, they've made discoveries like oh there's some mathematical thing that that sits inside this part of reality so it it, it, it it's complicated yes, very. <laughs> it's, it's a philosophical puzzle that's yeah that's that's uh, befuddled people for many centuries and so that's that plays in with like the realists and the the idealists, the Platonists, where it's like where mathematics lives in our, in its own little reality, or mathematics is reality, or it's just a description that has a resonance. Mm. There's a lot of different perspectives on that. Because it makes <laughs> me wonder with it's almost like you translate it into so we have these numbers and letters and things. So it's like a translation of what we're seeing or what mathematicians are seeing across cultures. 
is there a similarity like has that inhuman you know um as humans have gone across the globe and they've created their own societies etc is there a similarity between the way they express that language oh well, sometimes it's like the way they're described you know so there's many different ways of of describing things like for, of course there's just you know language itself mm. and then solo solutions that cultures have for different problems um you know like social issues or whatever but so some of the mathematical fundamentals like the one that i that i've described before is like pythagorean theorem mm. so what we call the pythagorean theorem was discovered in different cultures o- o- over millennia and on Amazing. totally opposite sides of the planet like you know the chinese discovered the pythagorean theorem but they didn't call it that right yes. honestly i don't remember what they called it but so it was the same thing the babylonians well before the greeks even existed they there, there's cuneiform tablets where you could see kids were playing around with the relationship on a right triangle so it's, so some of these relationships they're intrinsic in reality mm. <laughs> that are that are discovered but they're just named somewhat differently or they're handled differently like some things that um, are just the numbers themselves or the the bases because the Babylonians were really big on it was a base 60 um, thank goodness that we don't really use it much today except for clocks <laughs> right so that that's that's why we have you know, the, 60 the 60 seconds, seconds to a yeah. To a minute, sixty minutes to an hour. It's the Babylonians, right? We inherited that from them. But fortunately, most of the stuff we have is like decimal and whatnot. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. So it's it's almost like an encoding that's in everything. If you look, mm. basically, yeah, it's an architecture. There's a mathematical architecture, architecture in the universe mm. that um, it does make one go, hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because if you've got architecture, you kind of need an architect. An architect. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> why, is, why is this structure here? And that's why um, that's why some some papers came out in the in the fifties or something. That was Wigner's uh, the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics, which has inspired a lot of a lot of discussion and debate. Mm-hmm. But but often what happens is you know as as a researcher you just use maths, but you rarely do you step back and say, well, why? Why does it work? Yes. Why Why can I concoct a mathematical model and I can, I can, of course, I have to tweak parameters. I have to fit the model to the data, but then I can make predictions. And then some of those predictions, if I do the model right, they actually turn out to be useful. And, and I've seen mathematical biologists point the biologists towards some mechanism that they had no idea existed because we were, we were modeling the things and we're saying, we're missing something, there's something missing. Can you go look for something? And they go look and they're like, oh wow, there's a thing here. We had no idea. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, oh, it's like uncovering mysteries basically then. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And that's that's the intrigue, right? It's like, um, I think human beings, we like mysteries. <laughs> we do, we're always seeing- What the heck is going on? Who killed who? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I guess that's part of the way God's created us to search for him as well. So that that need to find out is always part of who we are. We're curious beings. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's, if you put a puzzle in front of people, a lot of people, uh, it depends on the puzzle, of course. Does it have pretty colors? Is there lollies attached to it? (laughs) But you can you can often draw people in and say, oh, I saw this thing. Yeah. That's just that's just kind of how we are. We like to figure out stuff. I mean, how many kids have you known that they get toys and take them apart? Yeah. <laughs> right? I destroyed so many toys as a kid. How does it work? And they're like, hey, it doesn't work anymore. No. It's <laughs> always very disappointing. You gotta put it back together in the same yeah, way. Yeah. It worked before. Yeah. I'm no closer to understanding it, but I wish it worked now. Yeah. Maybe that's what happens because you do that a few times and then you realize, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore because <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm ruining everything. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that today. It's like, how does this laptop work? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I'd probably electrocute myself. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked when, in one of your talks and you, you did say how mystery draws us as human beings. <clears throat> yeah, I used that, um, that one talk, I used that quote that I put, it's in my PhD. Mm. So one of my favorite authors is uh, the American horror writer H.P. Lovecraft, and he had this description of of some city, some mystical city that um, that, was, that was kind of the form, the whole point of the story. That he had this vision, and he was like, "What is that? 
Mm. And he just set out, I'm going to go find this and understand this mystery. And to me, that's, that's a lot of why I do research or why I get pulled into this. Well, how does it work? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what's going on with this thing? What's the story? And along the way, you make, you make all these discoveries and stuff. And so I think that's one of the main reasons why I got into doing research. Um, I, do, I do really enjoy teaching. I, I hope to you know, do more teaching at some point. But I just seem to be doing a lot of research. And, that, and overall, that's okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I get to see mathematics in action. And that, yeah. that works for me. <laughs> it's incredible, though, isn't it? Because it's as if that will never end. There's always going to be more discovery. Yeah, that seems to be... Because there's not course, finite pretty... equations, are there? Oh, Things oh, are still wait. being found. There's always more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's always there's always some math puzzle. <laughs> yeah, it's on <laughs> Facebook. Break your brain. You're like, oh, <laughs> there's no problem. And it's the same thing when I did calculus tutoring at University of New Mexico. You know, I, I could field most of the problems that came my way. But so every once in a while, someone would come in and it would suck in everyone. <laughs> like everyone is like, what's going on with this? <laughs> right? And there's there's always some math problem that will that will challenge you no matter how seemingly seemingly simple. So, and, and I don't. Yeah. So when you're looking at a maths equation such as that one, can you sort of see that it can work? Like for well, myself, it always. just looks like numbers and letters and lines and yeah. Things. Sometimes sometimes it's hard to tell if it's if it's just a trap. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or if, if it goes somewhere. I mean, there's there's other forms where particularly with with the research that I do so I could often look at them and go there's something wonky here mm. or you're missing you're missing key conditions or there's there's something off but that's just familiarity it's, I, I look at certain classes of models quite a bit and so I have certain expectations so that's just by familiarity and I'm, yeah. I'm sure for you know I think of like pure mathematicians because I'm applied so I'm, mm. I'm I'm using mathematics and applying it to the real world whereas pure math pure mathematics is a very different beast um so the the objects that they work with and the things that they do they're doing research within mathematics so they, and they they literally say we don't care we don't care how it connects to the real world yeah. they're just sucked into maths itself and as much as i i find certain aspects of pure mathematics distasteful <laughs> it's just not my cup of tea but there's other bits where i'm just like that's a fascinating problem like some of the topology things that i've seen or or whatnot. There's there's so many different fields within pure mathematics. But one of the things that that I think is is so intriguing about this connection between mathematics and reality is is um, what was it? It was Richard Feynman, the the famous theoretical physicist of the 20th century, and how he just commented how how eerie it was that mathematicians doing pure mathematics, let's say hundreds of years, well before anyone else would think this stuff is useful at all, they were they were discovering or creating mathematical structures and methods and operators and whatnot and techniques that ended up being critical for like a theoretical physicist to tackle some problem connected to the real world. Mm. And that's one of the, that's one of the amazing, astonishing things. It's like, so, so someone who cares not one whit, about you know, how it's related to reality, they, they, you know, they create some artifice that's grounded in mathematical axioms and mathematical truths and it's got this structure that looks like it's a castle in the air but it turns out no it's it's profoundly connected to reality isn't that that's, amazing that's astonishing it's, yeah. it's astonishing because even with pure mathematics if they are working within maths what's to say that eventually they won't find where that actually does connect with reality oh yeah they, yeah. they may very well but since they're pure mathematician they're like they're we don't care <laughs> Yeah, might be a footnote. Oh, there's some utility to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It might be a little bit off topic, but I've been really fascinated lately about hearing about these imaginary numbers. Oh, imaginary what numbers. What is that? Is that they're not gap fillers or something, or what are they? Oh, so imaginary numbers. So, like when you're trying to solve some problem, you just imagine a solution. Ah, <laughs> okay. I imagine the answer is no. It's not that. At all. <laughs> How would you do that? Right. It's a, as I understand, the name is because Rene Descartes. Um, he was very dismissive of these numbers. He's like these are imaginary; they cannot be real. Uh -huh. <laughs> right? He was mocking them. But there's actually a reality to them. Um. So, well, for millennia, um, when people were solving simple little algebra problems. Uh, trying to trying to find trying to find the roots of an equation. If that sounds familiar from algebra school, 
yes. days. Um, there are some routes that they, they don't make sense. <laughs> so you end up with trying to find a, a lot of routes, like for, like for a, a parabolic equation or something, um, you're trying to find what number times itself gives you a certain area. And so there's certain lengths of these sides of a square so that if you multiply themselves, you get a negative number. And so what was happening for, for centuries, uh, millennia, that the engineers or surveyors or, or mathematicians would encounter these and they're like, I'm getting a square root of a negative number, which makes no sense. So they just chucked them. Mm. Right? So they, they just got rid of them altogether. And so we don't know what to do with these. They don't make sense. Of course, I, I mean, I could do it on the board, but I thought, well, I've got some some like PowerPoint slides. And mm -hmm. so these are excerpted from my math talk. But so um, what I'll just talk about is, you know, everyone gets taught this stuff, like the multiplication of numbers and signs, usually primary school, they don't give you much background for where they come from. But so often it's like, you just know that one times one equals one, right? So, but it's the signs that are important. Uh -huh. And so a different way of looking at these multiplications and the signs, was reimagined by a surveyor. I think it was in the 17th century. It's like a Dutch fellow, Wessel. And he reimagined these rules of multiplication for signs as rotations and additions of angles. So if you put plus one over on the right side, so at zero degrees, and you put minus one 180 degrees away on the left side, you can reimagine these multiplication things as additions of angles. So if you start off at plus one and you're at zero degrees, and you add 360 degrees, where do you get? You end up back where you started from, right? So that, that's just a full rotation. If you add 360 degrees to wherever you start, you, you just get back to where you started from. So he imagined, oh, this is the same. He said, he said, look at it this way. So this is the same as saying one times one equals one, because all you're doing is you're adding from zero degrees, 360 degrees, and you get back where you start from. So one one times one equals one. Oh, I think I get so, that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, actually, it's really straightforward. <laughs> um, so it's like, by the same token, what if you go um, one times minus one? Mm. So this time we're going from plus one, which is at zero degrees. If we want to get to minus one, how many degrees do we add? 90. 180. 80. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a half a circle. So we imagine this as saying uh, one times minus one is the same as taking one, which we've defined to be zero degrees, adding 180 degrees, which is where we defined minus one is, and we end up at 180 degrees. So the result is minus one. So it's just a different way of seeing the standard multiplication rules for signs, one times minus one is minus one because you've rotated a half circle, <laughs> Yeah. right? So that's just one way of viewing it. And if you continue this, if you want to multiply minus one times minus one, what's, what do you, answer do you get? You're asking me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what's Rowan, minus one times written. minus one? What, minus one, what was it? Minus one times minus one. Yeah, what do you get? Oh, it's, it's, it's very plus straightforward. One. Plus so one. A negative times a negative gives you a positive. positive. Gives you a positive. Yeah. That's all that's all that's asking. Yeah. Sorry, so, I get I get totally like paralyzed when it comes to maths. It's okay. And all it's, it's kind of like it, it's like the same as like someone puts a light on you. Yes. And it's like, the yeah. question. You can't I can't <laughs> spell or anything when I'm put on the okay. spot. <laughs> I, it was the same thing. Um, I had a very, very challenging maths professor at University of New Mexico and, and he would ask us questions all the time. And every time you turn around and ask me a question, I'm like, oh, I don't know my name. No, exactly. That's what I, <laughs> that's just what just Something happened. about it. So I totally, I totally. <laughs> it's like my worst yeah. nightmare on a podcast. Mathematics. Like, don't ask me math problems. I, I mean, I know my hair's blonde and everything, but geez, <laughs> that was a bit easy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, but so I'll say to, just to so to recap. So mm -hmm. we had plus one times minus plus one is plus one. Plus one times minus one is minus one. Now we're sitting here at minus one. If we want to get to plus one, how many degrees do we add? We sit to get from one hundred eighty to three hundred sixty. Ninety. Oh, sorry, one eighty. Sorry, one eighty. Sorry, ninety will get you there, but then you have to add another ninety. Right? Yeah, yeah. So another all that 90. is is you're just going to add one hundred eighty degrees. Yeah. So negative one times negative one 
from this rotation perspective is the same as starting at 180 degrees, you add 180 degrees and you end up at 360, Okay. which is another way of saying minus one times minus one is plus one because mm. that's where you start and that's where you end up. Yeah. So that's just a reimagining of something that people are often just told this, right? Without some of this background. Yeah. And this background actually goes somewhere. So like you were saying, you could go 90 degrees, but what does that, what does that mean? Mm. So here at 90 degrees, we're sitting here. We're, we're not at plus one. We're not at minus one. In fact, what number is this? If this is like a standard number line where we've got negative numbers to the left and positive numbers to the right, we've got fractions oh, in so here. Zero. So it's it's sitting at zero on this line, but it isn't at zero. It's sticking out of yeah. the into the plane. So what Wessel did is he said, let's call that I. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. And you can kind of see where this is going, right? So mm -hmm. so this this then I, if you look at uh, the multiplication, it's the same as starting at plus one and you multiply times I for the 90 degrees and you get I. So if we continue this process, if I want to get here, I'm going to add 90 degrees. Mm. So that's the same as saying I'm at minus one, which when you think about it from multiplication, I've just said, well, I times I equals minus one, or in other words, I squared equals negative one. Okay. That's that mysterious number that Descartes ridiculed. This is imaginary. It cannot be real. There's no number multiplied by itself that gives you a negative. And yet by reimagining things mm. by these rotations, Vessel just showed there's a way to do this, but you end up jutting out of this the number line that we find so familiar. Yeah. You can continue the process. I can add 90 degrees. Now I'm at 270. So if he's plus positive I, what's he? Negative I? Yeah, it's just negative I. Thank you, Rowan. And so, <laughs> and so it's, just, <laughs> it's just negative one times I, the mm -hmm. same as adding at 90 degrees. Yeah. If we want to complete this, how many degrees do we need to get there, to get to a full circle? 90. So if we add that 90 degrees, we're back at 360. And what number are we at? We're at one. Mm. And so that's the same as saying negative I times 90 degrees or I that gets me one. Wow. So okay. these form the basic multiplication rules for imaginary numbers that gets you through this whole rotation. Okay. And so the thing, the thing that's particularly interesting is how these numbers here that are so familiar, plus one, minus one, a half, a quarter, 3.14159, they're all sitting on this line. And the only way to deal with a problem like this is if you rotate out into something called the imaginary direction. Okay. So there's, so there's an axis of imaginary numbers and real numbers. The real numbers are the ones that are familiar. Like when you're driving a car, you're probably thinking in real numbers. There's a real velocity that this car is going to kill me if I pull out at the wrong time. <laughs> right? Yeah. But actually, it turns out that those real numbers that are so familiar to us that, that we live in, that we interact with, that, are, that make sense to us, are just one small subset of a larger world of imaginary numbers. And in fact, the imaginary themselves and the reals, they form a plane of numbers called the complex. So any points on this plane, it's, it's two-dimensional, right? You need, you need to have two numbers. So you have a real number and an imaginary number. All the world that we know regarding numbers is actually just a small piece of a much larger world of numbers. Those are imaginary numbers. So, so he, um, he just sat there and worked that out. <laughs> so now <laughs> yeah, I know what like, imaginary numbers yeah, are. So now you know what imaginary numbers are um, from these rotations. And yeah. it looks like it spins off into an, it's another dimension, yeah. which is kind of freakish in a sense. It's like the, the world that we live in is actually just a smaller subset of something much bigger. Mm. At the end of the day, though, like I said, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> right? Why? What do you do? <laughs> I just, yay, you got to watch me tort torture, torture me. Michelle with yeah, imaginary and I just totally embarrassed myself on a podcast that will go. I'm <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. It wasn't my objective. <laughs> it was, I wasn't ready for that. I should have um, crossed that question out. I thought it would be nice and easy. But oh, anyway. Okay. Well, you can always, you can always just, you know, put, put uh, the girl from Ipanema over that yes. whole thing. <laughs> that, whole, that whole thing. No, I, yeah. I got it. It was just the fact that. You know, I was looking at 90 degrees and for some reason thinking 80, 180 degrees. But anyway, all that's right. all good. It's, it's all good. I do know the it, difference. Because <laughs> the idea is that um, 
the, the number of systems that we have that we work with, like they've evolved from stuff. Mm. So, you know, negative numbers were rejected for so long by math people because it didn't make sense. Negative. What are you talking about? Like, like that's like a, so if you have so many apples and someone says, you know, you have a negative apple, what's a negative apple? What does it taste like? Does, does it kill it you? Like? <laughs> yeah. So that didn't make, but it, well, when you think of it in terms of like credit and debt, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yesterday I borrowed an apple. So I owe you an apple. So I have a negative apple that I need to pay you back kind of thing. Yes. Or you can like also think of negative numbers as like depth. You know, it's like you're so many meters below the ocean surface, you know. Mm-hmm. So numbers have, the number system has grown and the real numbers that that operate on that single line, they're the result of hundreds of years, millennia of developments of what we consider numbers. Yeah. And so when complex came along, at first there were just this way of dealing with these annoying little algebra problems. I have a square root of a negative number. What do I do with it? So it made the mathematicians happy. Yay, we have complex numbers. Yay, we have I squared equals negative one and that's no longer an issue. But the rest of the world, they're like, eh, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> right? Why, why should we care? You mathematicians and your... <laughs> yeah, and your goofy little problems. <laughs> right? Why is he so happy? He's got imaginary numbers. <laughs> who needs yeah. imaginary friends when you can have imaginary numbers? Yeah, yeah. yeah who needs imaginary <laughs> friends when you got math? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It turns out <laughs> that, these, that these numbers that were so rejected like by Descartes that was just the classic example is like these are absurd these make no sense they have no relation to reality they just make the mathematicians happy you can get your little problem solved but there's no connection to reality what it turns out is hundreds of years later theoretical physicists uh, Schrodinger and his descriptions of quantum mechanics use complex numbers mm. used imaginary numbers the imaginary eye features quite prominently in Schrodinger's equation uh, an equation that describes the fundamental nature of the micro micro scaled <laughs> micro micro scaled architecture of the universe has imaginary numbers in it. Amazing. And it turns out that these bizarre numbers that seem so disconnected from reality that were important to mathematicians, it turns out that they're fundamental to a description of of the universe. And it used to be used to be thought too that. Um, you know, using imaginary numbers in Schrodinger's equation was just just for notational convenience because they because like I was showing the rotations right. So imaginary numbers are really popular for showing rotations. They give a really compact notation for it. Well, it turns out there were some recent articles that came out just a couple of months ago where some experimental physicists they tested the idea: can you can you describe quantum mechanics without imaginary numbers? Can you go through just making the notation, just the description a bit more complicated. No, no. you need imaginary numbers. They are an essential part of the description of the fundamental nature of reality. Incredible. Which is, which is astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how did, how did these crazy little eyes end up in something so fundamental? Yeah. It's just amazing. So um, I guess the big question is, is maths actually God revealing? Like, are they are they revealing? Is mathematics revealing the fingerprint of God? Right, right. So I think that's that's where the imaginary mm. puzzle points. It points to something. Yeah. Um, it, it points to um, there's <laughs> there's something fundamentally curious. <laughs> there's there's a mystery because, like, for one thing, so why would people that have math brains exploring these math problems and discover these little issues that turn out to be really irritating to the math brains, <laughs> right? And then it turns out that, you know, over time, it turns out these are fundamental, uh, fundamental to the architecture of how the universe works. And of course, that gets into, you know, some of the arguments while mathematics is just describing it. But, but think about it from, from like this perspective. Um, we have we have like a, 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 like these mathematical abilities and we have intrinsic abilities of you know estimating things, like I said about driving, using vector analysis, vector algebra, we don't see it that way. But so we have an intrinsic understanding of the nature of reality around us. Like, have you ever thrown a ball, <laughs> right? We have, we have an understanding for you know, how ballistic equation and so forth. And so the way people in many ways rejected imaginary numbers, rejected this idea because they seem so absurd. 
and yet they turn out to be tied into something much more profound. It has it has a lot of implications. Yeah. <laughs> it has a lot of implications for for one. Why is our mathematical ability tied in some way to the architecture of the universe? Yes. Because indeed, the architecture of the universe is quite mathematical. Um, even though it it may it may drive some people um, to running screaming out of the building, <laughs> like I don't want to deal with this. No. <laughs> right. Teach their own, you know, it's, yeah, it's, just it's, it's some, some of them, that's really cool. And other people are like, that's really disgusting. <laughs> I guess it's like the strawberry ice cream and the chocolate ice cream. You yeah, know. that's true. I, I just think people who like strawberry ice cream are just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Chocolate chocolate. <laughs> Different strokes. But, yeah. but the fact that, um, that our abilities to do mathematics lead to such bizarre discoveries that actually repel people. And it's like, these, these don't make sense. They're imaginary. They're just figments of your imagination. That's how they got named. This is a figment of your imagination. There's no connection to reality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the fact that there's a resonance between that mathematical ability that leads to these creations, these discoveries that then are intimately related to the fundamental arch architecture of the universe says something about us. Mm. And it says something about reality. And so there's, it's a puzzle. And some of the ways that are are taken to tackle this uh, from philosophers and so forth. Uh, I am not a philosopher, <laughs> right? My training is is as my my background is mathematics, and so I appreciate very compact and very simple descriptions. It's like a formula: e equals mc squared, f equals ma. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of information packed into that thing. So mathematicians were were trained to say a lot of things with a very few number of symbols. Whereas philosophers, they say very little things with lots of words, <laughs> right? So that, that's, that's, you know, I'm sure that's very controversial. <laughs> so if, if you read philosophy texts, it's like, this just go on and on and on. Like, get to the point. Some of us um, find that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, to each their own, strawberry. That's right. um, but so, it's, it's, so some of the philosophical quandaries that come out of this has led people to, uh, to concoct some ideas like, well, well how does this work? And so, there, of course, there are big shot philosophers, um, like there's theistic philosophers and non-theistic ones that have, that have looked at this. But honestly, the non-theistic explanations, they, they typically come down to um, either, <laughs> basically, we're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> right? We're very Random. fortunate yeah. that it's just, it's just happenstance. Mm -hmm. Or it's involved in some sort of evolutionary description and saying, well, we evolved that way. And so without getting into too much of the evolutionary perspective, uh, there's thorny problems that come out with that too. Why, why, would we, why would we evolve ability to do mathematics that leads us into these bizarre discoveries or creations that actually repel us that turn out to be intimately related to the architecture of the universe? Yeah. And so there's, there's all those problems. Like if you're not a theist, like how do you understand this issue like with imaginary numbers and connection to reality and so forth? Whereas as a theist, it has a very simple solution. Well, God made it that way. <laughs> God made us that way. God, God created the universe on a mathematical architecture that reflects um, his, his uh, <laughs> being the architect, <laughs> right? So yes. It's a reflection of his creation. It's got his thumbprints all over it. We are, are his creation. We have his thumbprints all over him, and we are made in the image of God, and we're given some of the capabilities of God to reason and to think, and some of that is mathematical capabilities. And so I, I see it, of course, as a theist. So it's like, well, it, it makes sense that, that God made us this way. He gave us this mathematical ability that resonates with the mathematical architecture of the universe. That's why mathematics works. That's why mathematics is something that we can do in the first place that leads us into these bizarre oddities like imaginary numbers that turn out to be intimately related to the fundamental architecture of the universe. It's incredible, isn't it? It's just it's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy. These, a simple little thing. Mm. I, yeah. <laughs> this little eye pokes you in the eye. Yeah, I'm <laughs> never hey, going to look at eye the same again now. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe circles and you know, like 90 degrees. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I should have brushed up on a few things. I mean, that's, oh, a, little that's, bit, all good. that's a little bit That's a little bit too basic. That was not good. <laughs> that's all good. Well, I, also, if you don't play with this stuff every day, it's it, it's a brain shift. Well, it was for me because I was trying to, trying to see where you were looking there and there. And I was trying to like match them up, but anyway. Oh, okay. It's Sorry, okay. I'll, 
I'll brush up on the explanations. Uh, I'm so, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll just get some okay. therapy later. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. I'll, I'll send you the chocolate ice cream. <laughs> yeah, that's what I need. I need ice cream after okay. this. <laughs> so we've, I mean, honestly, we've come to the end of our time, unfortunately. This is a fascinating um, topic and I've wanted to, to actually discuss this for quite a while now I've kind of oh. been avoiding it because you know it is quite a deep subject and I just can't stop thinking about the massiveness of all of this mm. you know it's just it's it, it's it, it is pretty profound it's like Mary Poppins you know suitcase <laughs> it just you, you or the TARDIS or something you know yeah it's I was like, just gonna say the TARDIS, the TARDIS. like wait a minute open the door. Why you all this in here? <laughs> There's just more and more and more. So, um, yeah. Yeah, because actually things like imaginary number I, it's like a TARDIS. Mm. There's so much packed into that little number that the meaning and the implications for it is, is kind of stunning. Yes. But then also just, just watching people around me that, that are very much atheists and that are using mathematics and doing mathematics and working with it. And then they never seem to stop and think, why does it work? Yeah. Why, you know, where did, and that, that puzzle, it leads into some real problems. If if you're an atheist, yes, or yeah. I guess a non-theist, because I've met I've met some atheists that, well, we could talk more about that. <laughs> That's another topic. <laughs> hey, before you go, um, we we just really love to know what people are reading and and is there any book that you're reading at the moment that you'd like to share with our listeners oh. and watchers that they might find interesting that they could actually read and understand? Oh. oh. <laughs> Like that I'm currently reading. Oh, geez, yeah. what am I currently reading? Um, unfortunately, so much of the stuff I read, I was just research. Yeah. Uh, tons yeah. of, I read so many research articles. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite <laughs> book then? Do you have a favorite book that you thumb through um, every few years? Oh, gee, um, for fiction. Yeah. Uh, like if it's a fiction book. Because yeah. I, was, I was thinking, is there a math book? <laughs> Um, I, and I will, I'll, I will mention one that's important. That's, that was really important to me that if I hadn't, if it hadn't been for that book, I wouldn't have survived. And I guess I just, mm. so it's, so it's this one. So it's, it's this partial differential equations book. Oh. Um, and there's, you can see, I've, I've gone through it a lot. <laughs> there's all my notes. It looks like such a light read. Uh, this is an undergraduate textbook on partial differential equations. It's, it's something that could put you to sleep at night. If you're looking <laughs> But this book saved me um, when I was doing wow. my undergrad. Okay. It, that would take actually, me my whole life to read. Like I would, oh, you know, you just saw well, me. I, with I the... didn't really read all the <laughs> so Actually, there was so much of it that I didn't use for years. and I, But I still refer to it as a researcher because I'm just like, wait a minute, how do I solve this? Or how do, what's the numerical technique? Or what's this bit? So when was but it, it actually, published? Is it quite an old book? Oh, it's old. This is like, mm. nine, it came out in 94. And I was so fortunate that it came out when it did because I I failed this class like two times <laughs> before I took it. This was third time. And I prayed. It's like, if I can't get through this class, I'm going to do something else. Mm -hmm. And I got the perfect professor. She was a really good instructor. Mm -hmm. And I got the perfect textbook, this book. And this book started with, okay, so you have a metal bar. You heat one end. What happens? <laughs> Right. And so I was like, oh, it heats up on this and then the, it, it diffuses across the heat transport. And so it, he derived the equation and it gave me a physical anchor. I was like, oh, now it makes sense. And so this book, um, it, it, it allowed me to continue because if I hadn't made it through PDEs, I don't think I would have continued it on my master's degree. Incredible. We might put that in the show notes in case there's any budding mathematicians oh, out the, there. Oh, so, so this one. So if you're really on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bestseller. <laughs> But it's a good it's a good textbook, but also it's it's amazing to me how much my professor still refers to it. Mm. Is uh, like it still we in print, or is it? Yeah, uh, there's some recent recent versions. I have a more recent edition, so I think this was the first. Oh no, that's second edition. So mm. so there's newer editions. So it has been around, and it's still quite popular. Um, but as for as for fiction, um, one of my favorite books, which I haven't I haven't read in a while, and it's also quoted, I believe, in my PhD um i wonder if i could find that quote but so there's there's a book called um all the king's men which i haven't thought about in quite a while but there's that book has some of the most profound things in it who the heck wrote this book again um thank goodness for google you have to yeah, do a lot yeah. robert penn warren that's right okay. I've heard so of it's that. it's a story of of a politician um so which sounds like oh it's just politics there's so much profound stuff in that book um 
is that some some of it it just spoke to me at times in my life like when a friend committed suicide ages ago and that book there were there were descriptions there were there were very poetic descriptions that just resonated with me that stayed with me um what was it uh the crystal is in the steel at the point of fracture <laughs> right so it's like he was poetically describing there's a point of no return <laughs> right so you can't undo certain things in life yes and and talking about opportunities and how opportunities come and go and and sometimes we don't even recognize them we don't recognize these opportunities i, I wish i had this quote handy and i could just i could just give it to you i wonder mm. uh, the crystal it's incredible, incredible how you do find books that are so profound for your life. They just speak to you. They, yeah. they just stay with you. Oh, here it is. Oh, great. I found the quote. Oh, good. Um, oh, geez, there's 10 billion crystal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, here it is. How life is strange and changeful, and the crystal is in the steel at the point of fracture, and the toad bears a jewel in its forehead, <laughs> and the meaning of moments passes like the breeze that scarcely ruffles the leaf of the willow and it's such a it's rather a cryptic thing mm. <laughs> like what he says what i can see a mathematician liking that quote <laughs> can you <laughs> i think there's chocolate ice cream right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the the statements they they have meaning it, mm. it's a, a crystal on the steel point of fracture there's a point of no return the toad bears a jewel in its forehead there's opportunities that come that we don't recognize like wh why does this creature have a and these moments, like he's saying, these moments pass without meaning. We don't recognize them. Mm. And I, you know, and, and after, well, after my friend committed suicide, I started realizing how there were warning signs, <laughs> right? And I didn't catch them. I didn't see them. I didn't see those opportunities to intervene. I didn't, I didn't recognize what was going on. And, and I remember all the King's men, you know, I've read it several times. There are just so many profound dimensions to that book. Um, and I've, I've shared it with people and stuff and I get back to me like, eh. Yeah, okay. It sounds to me you kind of need that mathematical sort of brain to think that yeah, deeply possibly, within what, what the words I, are I actually saying. Non-mathematicians, I've enjoyed it. I <laughs> hope. I'm sure they have. I'm pretty sure there was a movie made. That yeah, really yeah, there familiar. wasn't All the Kings Men. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've actually seen it. No. Uh, Read the, book. Write, <laughs> the book is, is yeah. probably my favorite fiction book and it, and it features in my PhD. I, I, there's, there's a quote from it. And of course, H.P. Lovecraft, the, the, there's a huge quote in my mm. PhD, the one about mystery. And that's from the, the uh, dream quest of unknown Kadeth. But um, Lovecraft, of course, he is, he goes off into some really disturbing, he has, he, he has a worldview that's, that's completely antithetical to, to the biblical worldview. But it's actually also very consistent um, with a world uh, born out of chaos, yeah. you know, which is not the world we see, which is, which is again, it's like, like this thing about there's a mathematical architecture and order, a very logical structure to the universe. Like when we do science, we presume that it's, that it's there, that we can figure it out. Whereas Lovecraft, he portrayed a universe that was born out of chaos and at the center of the universe of chaos was a god of madness that if people were to dig into it like a scientist and see it in all its horror and power, they would be driven insane because it just didn't make any sense. It was, in, it was completely insensible, chaotic madness. That's not the world we see. No, <laughs> we see something that makes sense, that has a logic and an order to it. Well, we really hoped you enjoyed this podcast. Thinking Matters is a donor-supported organization, so please support us so we can continue to make these. Go to support.thinkingmatters.org.nz and while you're there, why not check out our other resources and upcoming events so that you can continue to defend the faith, navigate the culture and reach people.